man. Oh, yeah, I know Wasey. <laughs> yeah, we used to travel together. Yeah, me and Wasey. We've got in the house Mr. Cody Custer, world champion. He is um, just going to share some knowledge, some wisdom. We're going to talk about his story, talk about his uh, his faith, and talk a little bit about your rodeo schools. You've got a few coming up, got some dates on your Instagram. Yeah, Wait. I try to keep stuff on social media, just keep keep that information out there. And my phone number is readily available to everybody. You as, bet. I, as I've said, it's probably on some bathroom walls somewhere. <laughs> yeah. You can get my number. Any Anybody can get my number. You bet. Yep. So uh, we're going to dive into this conversation, then we're about to go buck some bulls as soon as that's over. So check out the uh, the, the next Rodeo Time that comes out because we'll get to hear you'll get to hear some some bull ride knowledge there too. So it's hot outside. Yep, it's hot in here. It's hot in here. We're about to buck some bulls. Have a podcast. Yep. Now on to the stories. Ladies and gentlemen, Rodeo Time Podcast. We have uh, the man, the myth, the legend. Not so much a myth, um, just the legend, Cody <laughs> Custer, in the house, passing through. You're on your way to a big ad of money bull riding, I assume. Where are you entered? Um, I've long been retired, buddy. <laughs> I'm not entered anywhere. I'm I'm entered on the the back shoot help. I think it. Yep. Abilene at the D rig and shoot. Yep. Yeah. Somebody's got to run that D-rig and shoot. <laughs> PSA to young contestants, thank the D-riggers. Yeah. Gotta. I mean, it's a thankless job. They don't even get to watch the rodeo. No. Yeah. It would be not that good of a gig, but someone's got to do it. It's a good way to get your foot in the door. Yeah, true that. So kind of like the security uh, or the, the elevator guy that just mans the elevator. Yep, press the no, buttons. No monitor. Uh-huh. Did um, but so you're taking bulls down to the YBR finals? Yeah, I sent thirty head down there. So, um, anyway, I've done shucks. I've done the done the little or done the junior high nationals first week of June, and got home from that or last week of June. Then I got home from that, did the little britches finals first week of July. Um, then we had we had the big world championship junior rodeo in Guthrie last weekend. We took the bulls to that, and then so I'm going to YBR this week. So was that the Little Britches? Little Britches was first week of July. The so what was World, last World Championship Junior Rodeo that that Lazy E puts together? Gotcha. They had ten thousand per event, so it's wow, it's a big deal. Yep. Wow. Yep. So um, you've been pretty adamant about well, uh, not adamant, passionate about making sure guys are getting on the right kind of stock. Is that kind of in that what kind of led to you having bulls well i'll tell you how that all came about was i mean well a backstory when i was however old i was my dad we had a roping arena and we put buck and shoots in there next to the roping roping box and had rodeos and stuff we had 30 head of roping steers and they doubled as bucking steers yep. and we had a 300 foot uh arena my dad told me when i got on them steers to ride them as close to the end as i could and get off and so i rode them for maybe 12 or 14 seconds down there to the end, jumped off and walked back and got on another one. And in three summers, I, I would estimate that I got on about 2,500 head of steers. <laughs> Dang. And 
and so that that was my foundation and you know I, I talked to a lot of these guys but you know they, they skip they skip the the steps along the way yes sir when i got on my first bull i was two weeks before my 14th birthday and that bull had zero chance to buck me off yes sir but i didn't know that because i was getting on a bull you know but um so so you know confidence is king that's that's my motto with with this deal and and so um i see a lot of guys skip that little that little span of getting on a lot of really easy ones and building up your confidence and understanding the movements of animals and stuff like that because yes, if you're sir. getting bucked off in three seconds the only you don't understand the moves you just you're fighting everything yes, sir. and so i uh so fast forward to 2005, I went to the junior high finals, and, and my boy Brett was uh, would have been seven years old at the time, maybe eight, but he wanted to be a bull rider, and I saw what was going on. Like, there was bulls at the junior high finals, and I was like, gosh, dang, that, you know, uh, ridiculous. And so I kind of I kind of, I went about it the wrong way. I went in guns ablaze and kind of chewed ass on the, on the leadership of the, the high school junior high association which is the same as the high school kind of lost my maybe um any kind of any kind of place there for a while so i kind of backdoored went went to uh texas region one became the president of the junior high deal there started bucking we'd buck steers in the in the fall and buck uh buck bulls in the, in the spring and just kind of feel them kids out and see where they're at and then ended up Long story short, Cotton George was a guy that kind of helped me get get my foot in the door going to the, the high school or junior high finals down there at, um, at uh, Gonzales. And from there, I, you know, I've just done a lot of youth stuff and really been adamant about speaking out about um, the bull guys being part of the youth deal. I think if you, you know, you're going to, you're going to bid a youth rodeo, you better dang sure be a youth bull guy. Yes, sir. <laughs> and uh, so anyway, I, long story short, uh, Herbert Terrio invited me to come do the junior high nationals um, five years ago, or I've done it five years, so that's six years ago because they skipped one year. Um, since that time, and I don't think in the history before that, you had to ride two to make the short go. And every year until this year, they had to ride two bulls. And this year there was two or three guys that got in on one, but – kind of pride myself on that just we're just backing things up they're still little kids i mean yes sir and there there's going to be a couple of standouts if you if you take your standard off of the best guys there you're doing you're doing an injustice to to the other guys that might make it 100 percent. yep so and you, you're going to have some guys that ride everything right but that's right. better than killing off exactly the bottom half of the kids yeah and you know if the bull if the bull system would have been in place like it is now when i was just starting my bull riding career, who knows if I'd have made it. You know what I'm saying? I, I, I never hit 100 pounds till between my junior and senior year. I was a little bitty guy. Tried hard, but the bulls were different, different uh, animal back then. So there's a lot of guys out there that um, will get on that ranker stock sooner and still make it. And so I think that, you Small know. Small percentage. Correct. Yes, sir. That, so the, I'm yeah. I'm not arguing your no, point because no, no, no. I agree no, you're with you. Right. You're you know, right. you've you've seen yep. my pinnables that I yep. have for interns, but do you think that's what maybe a lot of those young guys see, and then their pride makes them get on, you know, a 22 pointer in a practice pen on a right. Tuesday afternoon? What I said was probably the 
biggest travesty in our era or you know in this era was was uh Jess Lockwood winning the world at, at 19 years old right. because he was a phenomenal bull rider exceptional and and there's you know there's one in a thousand like him right and so what it did is it made a lot of these guys skip skip the the lower end stuff Steps. and and yeah I mean I you know I made the finals I made the finals in 87 I almost made it in 86 and I'm glad I didn't because I wasn't ready you know I had another year to kind of and and even at you know, even that year, I probably wasn't as ready as I maybe should have been. But, but uh, anyway, I just see I just see a lot of guys skipping the, skipping the steps, and there's a lot of guys that have gone by the wayside. There's a lot of guys that were mediocre their whole career because they got in over their head too quick and didn't mature with the you know coming up through. And so, and you know what, I can't I can't dash anybody. I can't tell anybody how they got to do it. I just give my you know I give my Advice. I tried to talk Jess into going rodeo, but he did go rodeo. He just didn't go pro rodeo. He, yes, he rodeoed sir. for a few years, or maybe several years. You know, from the time he's fifteen till he's eighteen, he rodeoed and kicked their butts up there. So he went and got some experience. But nobody sees that behind the scenes stuff. They right. see a nineteen-year-old kid come win the world, and so every nineteen-year-old kid thinks that's where he belongs right then. And and some of them do. I'm yes, not sir. saying that, but but the majority of them don't. And, yes, sir. And it happened. It gets you know, even even further down the line, trickling down, when you're 12 and 13 years old, stay there for a while. Cause right. be a little kid for as long as you can, really. In my opinion. I like how you said you got on your first bull, and that bull had zero chance of bucking you off. That, That's uh, I was I was a badass steer rider. <laughs> Uh-huh. You know what I'm saying? I wasn't just a guy that got on a few steers and then jumped to bulls. I, I nothing could buck me off in my mind. You know what I'm saying? So and, and I ask at my schools. I I tell that story. I say, okay, so out of that, out of that 2,500 bulls, how many do you think buck me off? And then I always get half. Oh, no, if if I bucked off of 50, I would be very very shocked. Dang. Now the number 2,500 is just something I pulled out of the air, but it's not. I mean, it could be more than that, but. I, did, I didn't hit the ground very often. And, and so what that did for me is made me realize you hitting the grounds, you know, that's a rarity. Yeah. It's, it's not, it's not a common thing. And so, um, you know, and, and so that, that's kind of my argument with the high school deal. Just let them, let them conquer, you know, yes, sir. I mean, that's, that's the junior rodeo, high school rodeo is preparing you for the, yeah. And you got to test yourself sometimes, but not, not on a regular basis. Well, and and dang sure not when it's you've been on less than a hundred, right? Yeah, that that's the whole yeah that's the whole point. Like you know, you test yourself on that, like you said, that three thousandth, you know, animal. Right. That's when you maybe test yeah. yourself. Yeah. But um, that's what I try to do with interns. I get a lot through here that for some reason, even before I had the intern program, I always ha- I just seemed to be a guy that had access to a practice pen and going through college and and whatnot like I I was always the guy that like hey I want to ride a bull and they would call me or get a hold of me like well call this guy you know and and uh so anyhow I've always and most of them are bucket list bull riders right and so you dang sure don't need to put somebody like that on a 22 pointer but I've just I agree with that philosophy early on you know I growing up with I, I've, you know, you see guys do it all kinds of different ways, but 
But these guys here, I really try to talk to them about, I mean, conquer the – anyhow. Um, so what was next after your first bull? I just – what, what what comes next after that story? You get on that first bull, and then what were those years following that like for you? Oh, I just – I mean, I was part of the AJRA, the Arizona Junior Rodeo Association, and, and Arizona High School, and there were some jackpots and stuff. And so I would, I would say I was – probably uh by the time i turned 16 got my driver's license i my dad had, my dad had been in a bad accident and so he wasn't there he wasn't there to help me and so <clears throat> i had a lot of influence from different people but um you know i just I, I started going to jackpots and riding against grown men and stuff and it was you know the bulls were a lot lot toned down compared to nowadays at a practice or you know jackpot place but um I got the I got a really good opportunity when I was fifteen to go with Jack Ward and TJ Walter one summer. And uh I was with them for three weeks and I got on a bunch of turnout bulls. And it was it was one of the like it's kind of a dream deal. I, I met you know, I met Butch Kirby and Bobby Del Vecchio and Danny Flynn, you know, guys that guys that I'd watched and admired their riding and you know, they were big stars and all that stuff, and they all treated me good, you know. And so it was kind of one of them deals. And and, and I got history, like, with John Quintana when I was a kid. He he was he always made me feel like I was supposed to be there, you know. Yes, sir. And I was just a kid, but uh, I never met him as an adult. He, you know, he moved off to Australia, and then and then he ended up being killed. But I never did meet him as me being an, an adult. But just guys like that were – but anyway, that, that opportunity to go that summer – I was just riding around with them guys, and yeah, <laughs> it's funny they didn't know I didn't have my driver's license, but so I drove a lot. Yes, sir. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> I had my permit, but anyway, right. I learned a few things about driving. The yeah, hard way, the hard way. Did you get paid for turnouts? Didn't they used to give you know a lot of guys give, give ten you 20, bucks, twenty bucks, 10, 20 yeah. bucks. Yep. How old were you when you first made DNFR? Uh, I was twenty-two. So. In the from from those seven years, that's when you really grew as a as a bull rider. Yeah, I just, I mean, I I just went to everything I could go to where I was at and got on a lot of practice bulls. Um, when I cracked out going in the PRCA, I I traveled with a bunch of different guys. I didn't really have any one person I traveled with, but uh, I would say I would say about. Well, that 1985 was my rookie year. Yes, sir. And <clears throat> I rode saddle broncs, barebacks, and, and bulls the first half of the year. Really? Yeah. Filled my permit in the bareback riding mostly. Part, Dang. Partly in the bronc riding. But, um, and I wanted to be a bareback rider. That was my life. You know, that that's what I wanted to be when I was a kid. I, I loved bareback riding. and There were a lot of bareback riders back then, weren't there? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, there was lots of them. Like, I... Uh, I got I made the circuit finals on my permit in 1983 in the in, bareback <clears throat> in the bareback riding yeah and uh I broke my I broke my hand my free arm the week of the circuit finals and so I had a big old cast on my free arm and I show up at the circuit finals in Farmington New Mexico and I've got sheep camp bucking horse of the year and man I was I was really jacked I was ready to go you know and uh sheep camp had he had two trips. He had one where he kind of set up and stayed right in front of the chutes, and he had a long, 
long trip where he'd yank your arm off. And for me, he just set up and kind of, he was just right there, right, right in the gate, you know, just right, right close anyway. And I tagged him three or four times and stayed tucked. And, and I got a little cocky and reared back and my hand blew out about, I don't know, six seconds, maybe seven. I don't know. But, uh, I went on to place it in two other go rounds and rode my other horse as a four header back then. I probably would have won the average if I'd have just kept my chin tucked. Yes, sir. <laughs> but, um, that might, heck that might've changed my course of my, my career too. But after that, I started getting on some horses that were Tom Thumb was like an NFR eliminator pin horse. And he yanked the dog out of me and kind of made me start. Those little floaters were pretty, pretty easy, but getting on ones that were strong and, and moving forward and droppy that didn't that didn't work too good for me so about about june i left my rigging in my saddle at the house and i still entered some circuit rodeos but um, i took off riding bulls that was how about about exactly how my bareback riding went no 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 not exactly because i didn't ride as good as what you're describing but i got on and i really enjoyed the hoppers and then i did not enjoy the arm jerkers I got on uh, Medicine Woman and uh, Cool Water in the same year, and those are those are two of the big horses that really just taught me that like I'd rather get on bulls and Bronx. Yeah. But um, so, did you get on that many bareback horses? Probably didn't um, get. Probably didn't no, have access no, to twenty five hundred head. No, sir. No, I never got on. I didn't. I don't think I got on. I got on some ponies, you know, when I was when I was young. Yes, sir. I think I had got my first hard rigging was uh, 1982. Before that, I just had a regular, you know, just hang on to it. Sursangle? I don't know what they call that, but Sursangle maybe. But uh, so when you uh, <coughs> 87, you go to your first NFR and you made it five years in a row. Who who were you traveling with mostly through there? Well, uh, you know, I had, there was a bunch of different guys I traveled with. I, Tommy Walters was a guy from Washington that didn't he, – he was going to make the finals in 87, and he tore his groin real bad and just never was able to – never was able to finish the year out. And I ended up 15th that year, so probably good for me, but bad for him. Um, traveled with a guy named Art Watson quite a bit in my career. Um, 1988, I, I got – uh, opportunity to get well 1986 I got in with Bobby Del Vecchio and Glenn McIlvain so that was kind of that was me transitioning from just a guy that was just kind of an added money or you know placed a little bit every once in a while to getting in with some guys that have been there and done that and so I felt like it, it it catapulted me to the next level and then I made I ended up making the finals in 87 and then 88 I got the opportunity to get in with Ted Noose and I traveled with Ted for that year of 88, which is really when my bull riding went to a different level. Um, got got in a wreck at the finals and got, got my head stomped on and, and my ribs and broke, uh, cracked a couple ribs and gave me a pretty bad concussion. And it was one of those, one of those things where you, you, you either – either cowboy up and go be a bull rider or go do something else. And, and I came back in, in, uh, in 89 and had a really good year. Um, that was the year Lane got killed. 
And uh, I'd lost a good friend the year before, Jeff Crockett, and um, that was a that was kind of a turning point in my life, as far as my beliefs and my my strategy in life and how I was going about things. And I made a decision for the Lord at that point, and uh, and part of that was due to my conversations with Jeff and my relationship with Jeff and his, you know, his life and his death really affected me in a in a good way, and. Uh, Anyway, we're coming up on that anniversary not too not too far from now, August twenty eighth. But but uh, anyway, so fast forward to to um, <clears throat> nineteen eighty nine. After Lane got killed, was really one of those deals. I was hurt when it happened, and I remember my first bull coming back after Lane got killed. I was going to uh, Garden City, Kansas, and I had a big bull of Chris Headlands that had horns about that long on each side and he was known to sling him up in your face and smack a few guys and stuff and I I remember driving and I was just thinking man this is it like I'm either gonna I'm gonna know if I want to be a bull rider yes sir and uh you know Lane was such a good guy and flamboyant and personable and cared about people you know he's one of them guys that he remembered mom dad's names and he wasn't just he wasn't surface you know he's he was a deep guy and uh anyway i remember i remember getting on this rental and about the third jump i just remember being right between those horns out there where i was supposed to be and my thought was like man i love this and dang and i never questioned it again after that like i i never questioned if i was going to be a bull rider ever again after that until the day i decided to quit yeah so dang so what was different about 92 when you won the world well let's get back to let's get back to 91 at the nfr in the ninth go round, i got a bull stepped on me and and um i was i was kind of hurt like i wasn't feeling very good and i knew the 10th round was then you know the tv pen and i told my wife i said we're i'm getting on i'm getting on wolfman or outlaw or uh money bags or no what was that bull Whatever there was, ninety one of nine eleven was his number. I won. I won the Dodge Circuit Finals on that bull, and those those were the three that I was like, man, I I think I can ride them. The rest of them I wasn't. There was Pacific Bell and whatever else was in there. I was like, I, I don't think I'm gonna get on tomorrow. Well, like I go to the office, go by the office, and uh, I got six twenty four Wolfman, and so I was like, man, here we go. So. I got on him in ninety what was I ninety four ninety five and a half. I was ninety four. And um that was Red Wolf. That was a different year. Oh, Red Wolf. Sorry. Different decade maybe, you know. Yeah. <laughs> Pretty close. But uh but anyway, so I, I rode I rode Wolfman and won the tenth round. I was ninety one points. And I remember after after everything was over with, they were interviewing me, being the high mark ride of the finals and and Tuff was the world champ that year. And so I, I just remember doing these interviews and going to the locker room, and, and it's my rigging bag and Tuff's rigging bag. Were, you know, it was just like – and I thought, you know what? I'll be the champ next year. And so right then, that moment, I, I knew that 92 was going to be the world – you know, I was going to be the world champ. And, and I never I never doubted it. I started you – know, I started the year off. I won second at Denver, and I might have won Tucson, placed – 
placing around at Houston. And um, when I won, I won Salinas that year, and I took the lead, and I never, I, I never lost, lost the it. lead after that. So, Dang. but the the cool thing about that year was uh, Jerome Davis and Jerome Davis was a rookie that year, and he had gotten hurt, and so the guys he was traveling with, they they were doing their own thing, and I was going to enter with David Fournier, and so we were like, we loaded Jerome up with us, and we started the first week of August, and we had uh, Myron DeWart was with us too. And the first week of August, we we took off, or we start, we all met at 8 Oklahoma, and like Jerome won first, I won second, or no, David won first, I won second, Jerome won third, and Myron placed. So we started our run together like just kicking their butts, you know. Dang. And uh, <clears throat> by the time by the time uh, Pendleton was over, which was five weeks, five and a half weeks, we had won over fifty thousand in the truck, and that wow. that was in ninety two. That's a you know, and uh, it put that in perspective. I won one hundred forty eight thousand to win the win the world which was an earnings record for, for the bull riding at that time. So, so we won a lot of money in a short span of time. We were right. kicking, I mean, it, we were kicking butt, man. It was, it was a good time. And Jerome, he just, I was talking to him the, the other day when I saw him and he said, he said, man, he said, I just sat in the back seat and listened to you and David talk. He said, cause we talked bull riding from the time we got to left one rodeo to the time we got to the other one, you know, we're, we're breaking things down and evaluating. And David, David's really, uh, in my mind, he's you know he should be doing some training on some guys because he breaks things down in such a way that you can't miss it. And, Student and, of the game. Yeah, I mean, just and, and both of us were so we were we were feeding off of each other, and uh, it was just it was like nothing could go wrong. It's just so good, you know. And that was, you know, and then that's. Of course, that was the year the PBR was formed. So there was a lot of cool stuff that happened in yes, that, little, that little span there. Um, Jerome got to be in on it, and, and me and David got to be a part of it. And we had big thoughts about it, but I don't think we ever d- dreamed it'd ever get where, where it is where it now, is. you know. It's such a – that was <clears throat> such a uh, an innovative and risky – thing to step out and do that paid off well you know i've i've heard a couple of the guy the guys that are part of it that were part of the beginning saying how smart we were i don't know that it was so much we were smart all the all the things fell together for it to happen yes sir and you know we were just guys out there seeing that there was promoters making a lot of money and not putting up much for us not providing insurance the bullfighters weren't the ones we picked, we would have picked, you know, and and so that's kind of how that whole that whole deal came about. Is we kind of all just got together and we're like, hey, we we're trying to make a living riding bulls, and the promoters are making the big money, and we're just getting little scraps. So we went together and formed a collective bargaining group, and that's kind of how the PBR started. There's a lot of stories, you know. I mean, I think it'd be interesting to hear. A story from each guy origin story to, on as everything. to how it all came about but because everybody's got their own version of it i'm sure you know and, and yes, sir. um bro was was up and going and and uh we didn't most of us didn't agree with 
the, the guy running that and and I didn't even go the first year just because because of our difference of opinion and um, <clears throat> a bunch of the guys got together and told them that if I didn't get to go they weren't coming so so I got to go in 92 and that was the year we formed that's when all that I kind of all that stuff went went down and uh I won it in 92, so they should have left me out in the cold. Probably. <laughs> <laughs> um, 89, right in the middle of your five years of going to the NFR. You still had the PBR thereafter, but 89 is when you got saved. What was it like rodeoing and then in somewhat the prime or close to the prime of your career, you, um, you know, <clears throat> Well, so come to know Jesus. So, so here, here's my story. It, it was 1984 when I got saved. You know, when I, when I, when I made a, a conscious declaration and and prayed, you know, that the Lord saved me. And but for four years, I was just kind of out there, not really. I was just doing my thing. And um, Jeff's death kind of that was in '88, actually. Um, <clears throat> Just the conversations we had that year, just everything led to that, you know. It, it all led to that. And um, so a couple of weeks, or maybe a week after Jeff got killed, me and Beaver Jernigan got baptized at Pueblo, Colorado in a, in a cold swimming pool. And, uh, you know, that was just, it's kind of like my eyes got open to a lot of stuff. Um, I, I don't think baptism really is saves you i mean it, it doesn't save you but it but it's uh it's just a def declaration of you know living for the lord and my eyes were open to a lot of stuff and and my lifestyle changed quite a bit just just after that and a lot of it had to do with jeff and his my relationship with him and um <clears throat> so fast forward to well let's fast forward all the way to 2011 um my son Aaron got killed in the car wreck, and um, and oh, maybe maybe a week or two after after he was killed, I was just having the worst day of my life, <clears throat> one of the worst days of my life, and it's like the Lord kind of spoke to me that Aaron was to a lot of people what Jeff was to me, Dang. and so his. So his death, it was kind of a it was kind of a comfort, you know what I'm saying? Like it yes, was. Yes, sir. Big. Piece. I mean, I was already I already had comfort in where he was at and all that stuff, but um, it was just comfort to me, like like that was the plan. Yes, and sir. Somebody said something about the old devil, you know, this and that. Said, no, it, our days are numbered, man. It, it was the father knew this long before any of us were around, so I'm not gonna blame nothing on the devil. Um. But anyway, it, it's it, and you know it, it's like right now is an emotional time of year. I, my dad, today's my brother's anniversary, his death seven years ago, and my dad was Saturday last Saturday, um, four years ago, and then Aaron's coming up here on the sixteenth, and then Jeff on the twenty eighth. So so this month, July used to be my favorite, or August used to be my favorite year or time of year month, I guess. And my birthday's the thirtieth, so it's a I don't like this time of year. I don't like this month, but, but on the other side of it, it's like, 
I get to reflect a lot on the memories and the the things that I things that I was able to do with my dad, my brother, and, and my boy, and um, I don't know. I just I I get a little. I'm not really a, a big emotional guy. Yes, sir. But I get a little emotional certain days, and today's one of those days. Just driving down, I was thinking about my brother and stuck his picture on my on my Facebook and picture of me and him and just what a what a genuine pure guy that guy was and and I sure do miss him a lot but but at the same time it's a uh, not long before I get to see him I guess so, yes sir anyway that uh you know if you I mean just thinking about life you know in the way that our day is going to everybody's day is going to come and so the more people you have in your life family friends that you care about you know their day is going to come and sometimes it's comes quicker for for some than others well but, I, I was i was with you right after your dad passed and yes and, sir. and uh, i think i might have shared that story with you about about aaron and about about jeff so i mean thinking back i think i did yes sir I think that was you know so i think we go through hardships to help other people when absolutely going through it and i, I know I know we spent a lot of time um, talking and praying together. Yes, and stuff, so, yeah, that um, one of the things that comfort you know after my dad died, one of the things that you know he was at his rodeo, I was at mine. I always went to that rodeo with him. We always went together, but I just didn't. And I was with Sammy in Paris, and uh, anyhow, um, me and Leroy went down there and you know, picked him up and went through all the deal, you know, uh, there was a, you know, funeral. And then, uh, day or two later, we, we, we had funeral in Lubbock, but then we buried him out here and, um, we, uh, so it was, it was kind of a drawn out deal, which three, four, five days. And after it was all said and done, like I looked back on since the day he had died and five or six days had gone by and I hadn't asked myself, um where he was i realized like you know i didn't have to check with myself and i didn't think i didn't consciously think like i wonder if right. it was it was as sure you know like we know that gravity exists and if this table weren't here those two bibles and that cup of coffee would drop to the floor because gravity exists there you know but we don't have to consciously acknowledge it to respect right. it, yep. you know, so it's, yep. it's become so much a part of our lives every day that we respect <clears throat> gravity. And I realized like in those five or six days after my dad had passed that, um, that's where my heart was with where he was at the moment. And that for me was, was such a piece. Um, because then I knew, you know, all I had to do was like you said, wait it out. And then I get to see him too. So that was, that was, and you never get to see, the full effect, you know, I like, you know, 10,000 things is what God's got going on when we only see two or three, right. but over time, that ripple effect of that person and the, the effect Jeff had in his life over time, like two years later, you meet so-and-so and realize that Jeff impacted his life. And anyhow, right. Jeff's yeah. death, you know, it like sent this in motion, 10, 20,000 different things that God had control over. But in that moment, in that pain, we can only see one or two and um 
anyhow, I just I just hope and pray my my death is one similar to Jeff's, that it's it's something that's impactful to people yeah. where they you yeah. know have that same sort and of it response. Will, it will be, you know what I'm saying? That that's most people most people in life have, you know, our relationships aren't aren't uh, happenstance. They're, every relationship has some kind of some kind of uh, impact on one or the other. It does, you know what I'm saying? Like, and that's why, like, when I'm doing these schools, I talk to the kids, you know, the guys that are part of these schools about, hey, this is more than just a bull riding school. Like, I want you guys to know that you got to respect people. You got to look people in the eye. You got to shake your hand. You know, you got to shake their hand. And you're wearing this cowboy hat, which I you don't know, have a cowboy hat on, but you're wearing this hat. You walk into a store, you represent everybody that's wearing a cowboy hat. And so your your life has an impact on the people around you, good or bad, one of the way, one way or the other. And, and so I think, I think a lot of, you know, young people don't think about that. You don't think about the impact that you have on somebody. And, and if you're going to be a, a turd to the, to the waitress, who knows what's going on in her life? You know what I'm saying? She, she might've lost her dad last week and Absolutely. she might be being, being uh, sharp and snappy with you. You don't know. Absolutely. And that's, you know, I read something though, actually this morning, I think about, about, you know, you never know what people are going through. So be kind, you know, Yes, sir. be kind. And, and look, I, I'm, I'm not a, I mean, I'm guilty of being blowing my stack and, yes, sir. And when I do, I try to get it right pretty quick, I think. And that's what I talk to them guys about. Like, Hey, you make a mistake, whatever it is, make, make a mistake, get it right quick. Yes, Cause sir. then it, then it pulls it off of you. And if, if whoever you did wrong or whatever can't accept it, that's their problem. And and so, I don't know. I, I try not to get – I don't want to try to get too deep with them in all that stuff because they're there to learn to ride bulls. But at the same time, I want I want them to understand that their life really matters. And bull riding, in your span of your life, if it's that long, bull riding's maybe that long. Yes, yeah, sir. It's a 21-year career. You know, I rode, for, I rode professionally for 21 years. And it was over in a, in an instant. Yes, sir. And and when you're 16 or 22, whatever, you don't you're not thinking that way. You're like it's going to last forever. It's going to be, it's going to keep being there. And I I did that till I was 38. I, right. I quit when I was 38. That's and and you know I need I, not, most bull riders don't ride that long. <clears throat> no, and and most like of I, them are younger than that when they quit. Yeah, and I, fortunately for me, or I say fortunately for me. The, the reason that happened is I had, from 93, 93 through 97, I had injuries that kept me out for a good part, you know, most of the year. And so I had five years there where I was not just going hard and, you know, putting a torture, torture in my body or whatever. So, so I was able to go a little bit longer. And I, fortunately for me, I didn't have anything major other than I had shoulder issues and that was about it. I had one knee, you know, knee issue back in '87, and it never, it never affected me. So, the shoulder deals were kind of my injuries there after after I won the world and kept me from kept me from going to the finals another another five times, you know. But I was in the I was in the top fifteen uh, four of those five years when I got hurt, and and so so I could have gone to the finals four or five more times, you know, but. It happened right after, in 93, it happened right after Aaron was born, not long after Aaron, my oldest boy. And at the time, I was I was a little bit torqued, you know, and kind of questioned God about it all. But I got to see my little boy. 
Yes, sir. I, I got to see the first part of his life <clears throat> on a consistent basis. And so looking back, it was really good, good timing if it was going to happen, you know. And uh, got, got to see his, you know, I don't know if I saw his first steps, but I saw him, I saw him grow up, you know. I got the, the from being an infant to being a little kid, you know. So it wasn't it wasn't really bad, but at the time you're going, God, what's this about? Like here I am trying to, you know, do do right and be a good guy and all this stuff. And you get, you know, and that's that's kind of the religion on you too. <laughs> going, well, here I am, you know, and here's these little potheads yeah. and you yeah, know, I deserve it's, this. Yeah, exactly. And so so maybe that's what maybe that's part of what the the lesson in the middle of it was. I don't say I don't think God actually hurt you on purpose, but you you learn some things through. Uh, you know, there's that saying that everything happens for a reason. I don't know about that. I think I think everything that happens, there's reason inside of it. You know what I'm saying? It's not, I don't think everything happens for a reason because there's, I mean, maybe because you're stupid and stand in the wrong place or something. But Right, yeah. Sometimes or, the reason is or, you make bad decisions. Your, or tape your, your elbow the wrong way and tear your bicep tendon like I did. That was, that wasn't. That was a reason was I didn't pay attention to what I was doing. So, but anyway, long story short, I, I don't, I don't get so wrapped up in all the, you know, I used to, if I do good, I'm going to get blessed. Yes, I, sir. You know, and that, that's to me, that's, I mean, do good. Yes, sir. And take the blessings, but don't do good because you're going to get blessed, you know? Or right. And so I, I, I used to, you know, I felt like I was like, doing my best my best to avoid sin and I would really try to store up that ERA the eternal reward account right. you know right. I'm tithing I'm helping what, this widow and what, yeah that's what religion does to it makes us think the wrong way about it and and so I would like do try to check those boxes and then these blessings would happen in my life and then I was like <laughs> oh man but but then like I realized like <clears throat> and I I got to check myself like um, you know, those blessings are available for everyone, number one. Number two, God doesn't need Dale Brisby. You know, like I may have a lot of followers on each of these platforms, and it's great that I talk about Scripture. It's great that, but God can turn this table into a quote-unquote influencer yeah. <laughs> if he wanted yeah. to. He doesn't need me, and um, I don't deserve anything he has to offer. I do think that God put some 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 basic reap what you sow um, fundamentals in this life. So, for instance, if you just make the conscious decision every day to eat healthy, you're going to be healthy. If you you know exercise and eat healthy over time, over time you're going to be more healthy than and and it's just a right. it's 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 a reap what you sow, which is Galatians six seven, I believe, and there's there's principles put in place like that that are cause and effect then there's some things that happen in our lives that we don't have control over for instance i literally have a person that works for me has a neighbor they had a relative that they kind of knew but didn't know anything about die and they inherited a, like five hundred thousand dollars or something crazy it's like a, it's like a movie yeah then you know they don't have control over that and it's a blessing there's these other things that happen that are negative like a passing of a family member that you have no control over, a pandemic. You know, there's things that affect us that we don't have control over, but we feel like, why me? But 
I think if you can get every morning to a place where I don't deserve anything God is blessing me with, I'm thankful for it, I'm going to live a life obedient to him in response to the love that he gives me, you know, because if you look at, I mean, like all the apostles were martyred. Yeah. You know, they were, they were like lucky beheaded. They were, you know, like Paul was in prison most of his Christian life. And, um, here they are, the ones that they wrote, Paul wrote most of the new Testament and he's in prison, you know, while he's in prison. So, um, yeah, being a Christian, doesn't necessarily mean I imagine it was maybe the opposite for you at times like after you in 88 you probably then experienced a lot of like challenges you know because then the devil does want to like put some stumbling blocks well, in front of you so so how, how that kind of all went down is I got I started following I guess some teachings of 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 men and and really became what I didn't like about about a lot of minister type guys, you know, and I didn't realize it at the time. And, and maybe I wasn't as bad as I look back and, and think, but you know, like my buddy Aaron Seamus told me, you know, after he made a decision for the Lord, he, he told me, he said, you know, you're the way you treated me has a lot to do with where I'm at. He said, you never treated me like it was anything less than you. He said, you love me like, like, you know, a, a brother. And so, <clears throat> but but uh, I think we get the first thing we get told when we make a decision for the Lord is you got to go out and witness. You know, well, what's that really mean? You know, because I was still drinking beer and still mm-hmm. partying, and I mean in that four years. But I would go back and forth. You know, I'd 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 go back and forth. So I'm sure. Which now I mean I'll drink beer. I'm not you know I'm not holier now about that, but. My my point is, I think we get <clears throat> we get the guidance from from people that are trying to uh, try and make us be do gooders instead of uh, lovers of, of God and lovers of people, which is pure religion. Yes, so, sir. Um, so if we can get that, if we can love love God and love people, and I'm still gonna make mistakes. Work cattle with me for a little while. You'll yeah, exactly. <laughs> I. Uh... I agree with that 100%. You know, I think we do need to, you know, Romans 10, 9, and 10 says, if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord, you will be saved. So so there is, I think, a, a verbal, like you said, the declaration you made when you got, when you got um, 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 baptized. You know, the, the baptism itself didn't save you, but, but – you you did confess it with your mouth, and this is what you believe. You're not ashamed of it, and I think that's important. Right. Early on, when I first started rodeoing, I felt like I had to be the guy behind the shoots that gathered everybody, shared one or two scriptures, and prayed. And I felt like I had to say yeah. that. I yeah. felt obligated. And then I learned, like, like I remember one specific rodeo maybe <clears throat> 12, 14 years ago, you know, maybe 15. I don't remember exactly the year, but but uh, Heath DeMoss was there. And uh, I don't even remember if he came over, but I just, I remember feeling like called to, and I don't want to, I don't want to be disrespectful to my younger self and say that I shouldn't have brought everybody together at all. That's not no, what I'm saying. No. But I do think that me having that, what the words I spoke at that rodeo that night, however long ago, were important. 
But the way that somebody like, for instance, Heath DeMoss, who was there that night, has watched me live my life over the decades since is way more of a sermon than that was. Right. You know, and, and so that sermon, that the, how we treat, like you're talking about, like how you love on people, how we, I believe that's the, the true sermon. Because if you don't, if you're not living out that sermon, the, the words you're speaking are meaningless. Well, and, and you know, like there was, I, w- I was in ministry and organized ministry for a while. And um, <clears throat> I started writing some articles for, for a couple of different magazines. And I wrote this one article talking about um, one trip in particular where my, my whole goal was to get this guy saved. And so all I did was talk about my version of how he needed to do it. And when we got out of the truck, he's had some words for me and, and he hated my guts after that. And, and so the, the article that I wrote was, you know, how much better of an impact would I have made on that guy's life? If I'd have just got to know him, mm-hmm. find out who is, you know, who his kids are, how, what his kids' names are, what, you know, how he grew up, but what, what if I what if I would have done that? How much more? And and you know what I met her, I may may have never been able to talk to him about the Lord, but if I'd have been his friend, he'd have trusted me more. And who knows? But to this day, he he doesn't really. I don't know if he hates me, but he he won't come around me. Yes, sir. And and so, uh, so I decided that I I'm not a I don't witness. I'm not a witnesser. I don't go out and try to witness, but. Somehow it always comes back around there with a lot of people without me even putting the pressure on myself to do it and, and or putting the pressure on them. You know what I'm saying? It's mm-hmm. just, and, and after my dad died, I went through, I went through some tough stuff. I, you know, Aaron got, Aaron was killed. He was, he was gone overnight. Um, Danny was killed. He was gone overnight. Dad died and I watched him die. And I was there for a good time, a good part of that time. And, uh, yeah, I just remember leaving him and knowing I was never going to see him here again, you know. And and it just it wrecked me for. It wrecked me, you know. I had I dealt with it for. A while. It's been four years, and I'm, feeling kind of feeling like I'm, normal again. But, you know, it just, it messed me up for a while. And and. Uh, you know, thank God for people around me, you know what I'm saying? That I've, I've had some, I've got some great friends that I can share stuff with and they, you know, they, they helped me through some stuff. And anyway, so that's what, that's what this is all about. Anyway, it's about, the, about the people, people we meet, yeah, the, sure. the, the, you know, this stuff right here, this, you know, this stuff right here is more, more this than it is this, you know yeah, what I'm sure. saying? Because I mean, there's, I don't, I don't pray every day. I don't read my Bible every day. And and there's some people out there preaching that if you don't, you're serving the devil. Well, okay. Say what you want. I mean, it's it's not about that. It's about it's about the you know about him. It's just it's not what I do. It's what he does. So anyway, I don't know. I I get I I really get to, I get to talking about this, and I don't you know I kind of I don't want to go I don't want it to go the wrong direction because. I don't really want to knock a lot of people, but there's a lot of people out there doing probably more harm by putting pressure on people and it's pushing them off than, than drawing them in and letting, you 
know, my buddy, buddy I live down there by, we've had more intimate conversations that had spiritual implications in his barn drinking beer than we ever did the times I got him to go to church with me. Mm-hmm. You can say, I mean, somebody's going to say that's heresy, whatever. No, I don't think it's that. But somebody will say that. Right. You know what I'm saying? That, so, so anyway, I just, I just want to live my life and, and, and be a, a God lover and a, and a people lover, lover. And well, one thing I, we talk about it a lot. I've listened to it a lot. Anybody that's, you know, a frequent reader to this podcast, listener to this podcast has heard me talk about it, but there's a book, Mere Christianity in chapter. Well, there's a couple of places where it talks about this, but it talks specifically about pride. And, um, and then there's another part of the <clears throat> book where it, it, it talks about, you know, God judging people. And I don't know that it's all necessarily a level playing field. So like, I think that one this might be the case when it's the fact that like if God is the one judging us, like there may be somebody in this hand that let's think they're both Christians, but there's somebody in this hand that like does it all. They, they are tithing. They're not getting drunk. They're not, you know, fornicating, whatever the list is They're They're doing it right. You know, they've sinned, but it's, and then you got this other person who's doing all those things, you know, but they're pretty much doing everything this other one's not. And then there's just a couple of those good works that they're working on. But maybe because of, like, the way their lives were set up, their DNA, for whatever reason, to God, this person on the left hand, who's done one or two, quote-unquote, good things in their life, but believed that Jesus was Lord, is going to have more rubies in their crown than this guy on the other hand because like maybe his situation or dna or whatever you want to call it he was set up like yeah he was good but he should have been this that or the other i think there may be some nuances to that as far as like judgment that who we think is gonna be like real tall and mighty in heaven may not be that that may not be the case and that he made this point, and he was a—he's a much el- more elegant speaker, uh, C.S. Lewis is than I am. But man, it hit home for me because then later in the pride chapter, he talks about like, you know, pride is what made the devil the devil, and that chapter is called the great sin. And he talks about how how some people will, out of pride, do check these boxes: not drink, not have sex, not all for pride. Well, the devil's going to let you do that. Just. You know, if you're doing it for pride's sake rather than, and he talks about how with that pride, so long as you're looking down on people, you can never look up. And anyhow, that's something that shook me to my core this year, realizing that, like, society, we may have it wrong of as far as, <coughs> and, and Christians, a lot of Christians may have it wrong. Like, you know, who God is really nodding his head to and who he's shaking It's none of our to. business. Exactly. Other than love exactly. people. Exactly. I mean that's that's the you know I I saw a deal on Facebook I don't know this might might be ten years ago I don't know how long ago it was but a guy that was really influential influential in my life when we lived in Oregon and and wildest son of a buck you ever saw and and like just wild you know and and just loved me like he was my I was his buddy you know I, he was he was always had me around you know he's 
we were pals and stuff. And I learned some bad stuff from that guy. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, anyway, I saw he passed away, and I just <clears throat> I put on I put on that post. I just said, "Rest in peace, my friend." You know, whatever. I see you on the other side or whatever. And uh, another guy from up there that I knew back then that was a Christian now, he put on there. Well, he'll he there'll be no peace for him or no he, he sends a, a private, private message to me there'd be no peace for him just gnashing of teeth and whatever else he wrote i don't know and i was like, Dad, I, was like I was like so how do you I, I was like how do you know that and he said well i witnessed to him several times and he never prayed the sinner's prayer and i was like so he didn't do it with you so you're gonna i said yeah. you don't know what happened in that guy's life at right at, even if at the moment right you don't know what was his, you know what I'm saying? And, and, and to me, it just like, I, it was sad for that guy to sit there, and go judging that guy because yeah. he was, yeah, he was wild and stuff, but you don't know what, just because he didn't respond to you. Maybe that's why, you know, I said, maybe that's the problem, right? Maybe that was the problem as you were witnessing to him. You don't know, go, yep. go judge yourself, you know? And saying, so, I don't know. It's just, yeah. it's just, well, um, we get a lot of people asking like how to get started. I did a video a couple of days ago, um, how to get started riding bulls for under $700. And essentially what I, half of it was fuel and the other half was getting to a rodeo school. And we, we even named off, we put <clears throat> your link in there and, and, uh, talked about the schools that you're doing. I think in, we, we, we listed off like 20 schools that are going to happen in the next six months in this country that people can go to. But um, because I, there's so many people that ask me how to get started, and that's where the, the idea for the show came from, how to be a cowboy. Mm-hmm. Um, was I was talking to the producers, and I was telling them about all these DMs I get. So what's your two cents to somebody, whether they're 16, 22, 26, how to get started riding bulls? Well, I mean, the the first thing is go to a school that's got going to teach you good foundation stuff. And there's there's a lot of schools going on right now that don't put a lot of effort into that foundation stuff. Um, my philosophy and my way of doing it is is breaking it down to physics. It's science. One thing affects the other, and if you're doing something wrong with one thing, it's going to affect something else. If your feet come up, it's not usually not your feet. It's it's your free arm or your or your posture. And so so that's what I like my schools, I take I take the first day and just it's all groundwork. We don't just jump on bulls and see if anybody can ride. We we I talk about things and you know, there's there's guys that have been rodeoing in the PRCA and, you know, or riding bulls make trying to make a living at it that have come to my schools that are like, God, I never heard that. And so and then there's and then there's beginner guys, but so <clears throat> if you have a foundation, a place to go to when things fall apart, then you can do something about it. But if you don't have that foundation, you start chasing everything. Yes, sir. It's, it's kind of like Christianity. If you don't have that foundation, you start chasing everything. And so, um, so so I just I'm I'm real uh, I'm real adamant about about core stuff and 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 control of, of the free arm is a big deal. And, but anyway, so I kind of got off the subject. I mean, go to a school where you can get some good foundation and, and have something to, to 
to build on. Yes, sir. And and the the proper drills, getting on the right stock. You, you know, you get you get guys that get on seventeen bulls, and then they go in or PBR or whatever. You know what I'm saying? It's like you can't do it that way. You gotta you gotta go through the gotta go through the process. Yep. I saw a kid the other day that never been on one until he came to my school and Cody, at, or where was that at? One Cody, <clears throat> somewhere. Oh, Thomas, Oklahoma. This kid never been on one. He looked like Jim Sharp. I mean, freaking, he, he rode the first six bulls he got on. Dang. And he finally got bucked off one. But they were just they were just the bulls that I use. Yes, sir. And so he kind of got, he got on one that's a little bit, little bit more than the rest of them and got him bucked off. But it wasn't a big, bad mistake. It's just because he didn't, you know, he didn't have the, and so I, you know, I, Talk to his dad about, hey, man, take care of him. Don't let him get in over his head because they're going to see, you know, these bull guys that are just trying to get the next bucking bull. The right. Year, see this kid can ride. Hey, bring your kid over and get on my calves. Right. No, no. Right. Bad news. Absolutely. Um, After you've been on 300 head, then maybe, you know, but not after you've been on six head. It's, so, anyway, that that's my philosophy and toning things down. Through my career, during the week, I was going to get on practice bulls, and I never picked the best one. I always picked, I always picked little seventeen pointers so that I could work on little things that I felt like that week was lacking. Yeah. And so, have a you know have a plan, have a strategy, and it's not you you can't you don't accidentally become a bull rider. You got to have a strategy, much like everything else in life. You got to have some kind of strategy, and and go about it in a, in a structured way to get where you want to get where you want to go so yes sir <clears throat> yeah um yeah most of the people that reach out to me and say how do i get started riding bulls i tell them don't i try to that, talk them out that, of old, that old story get a bag of marbles and put them in your mouth exactly spit one out and when you lose all your marbles you're a bull rider yeah well it's it's uh i don't know i'm just on the fence about for instance helping guys that you know like a bucket list thing it's just such a dangerous thing to be a bucket list right. type item or do something for just the adrenaline you know um so if i can talk you out of it i do and then maybe you weren't supposed to be one anyway but if i can't talk you out of it <laughs> let me help you you got a chance you got a chance <laughs> exactly that's you, how you really tried to talk me out of riding bronx i really tried to talk donnie <laughs> donnie was here for a year he never wanted to get on bulls he got on bulls <clears throat> to because, get on bronx yeah because i wanted to get on bronx it was like one of the most disappointing things that for JB. Yeah. <laughs> he was like your biggest fan. I know. He, he liked it. He wanted me to be a bull rider. He even told me when I told him I was going to get on Bronx, he's like, you'll be back. <laughs> he's like, Yo, it'll take a couple times. You're going, boop, and you'll yep. be back. <laughs> Bronx riding's just so. Because he kept saying, you don't want any part of this, do we? Me? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> It's the learning curve. It's the learning curve. Once you get it, like, I never was a great bronc rider, but if one took a lot of rain and went straight, that was awesome. Yep. But it's the pick, you know, giving their head back up and swooping and all that stuff where I suffered because I had bull riding in me. So, you know, I was. Dude, look at, look at, like, how good a ride you made Sunday. Yeah. You still came off hard. Yeah. And you have had a lot of gnarly buck-offs in that arena. Yeah. 
with um and sometimes the arena is not drug no and you just have that there's some people though that if there's a lot of people if they hit the ground like you had it would have cracked their egg like some people are just a little more susceptible to <laughs> and then there's other people like yourself who you're number one you're in the prime of your health part of your life yeah and then you're tough and uh you know you're squirrely or you're, you're willing to move around in the air but so yeah. ha- so have you been have you been entering or are you just still yeah. kind of yeah. uh-huh i've been going to a lot of upras, UPRAs. Yep. yeah cool it's been good yep. he, he spent a week in cody with uh rod hay oh yeah yeah so that you came right after i mm-hmm. I, yeah. I left the day before rod i got there on two days before sunday so roddy showed up monday yeah so yeah. I left. I think I left Sunday morning. I'm so glad you went too. Me too. Yeah, it was a good it was, experience. So Friday is when you rode. Saturday. No, like or when you placed. Yeah, I think it was, I think it was either Thursday Friday or night, Friday. I think, or maybe you texted me about it Friday. But the day you placed, I was like, I told out <clears throat> me, Cole, Jordan, maybe Carson was in here, and I said, the moment he gets points on the board. And cash in his pocket, or, or just points on the board. And you just don't that, have that hanging over your head anymore. That will be, well, you don't have it hanging over your head, but it's also just, you cannot help but have like another layer of confidence. Right. Yeah. Yeah. When I was getting on bareback courses, I was at a rodeo I shouldn't have been at, and Chris Harris was. He said, "You winning builds confidence. It's the only thing that will build confidence is winning," and. uh I was like, oh, okay. But pretty much he was saying, like, you shouldn't be here. <laughs> I got two jump. The next day I got, I went to uh, Fort Worth and <coughs> got one jump, flipped over, and got this scar on my hand from surgery that I had to, where I broke my hand. That was the beginning of the end of bareback riding for me. But essentially what Chris was saying is what you were saying. You know, go get on 2,500 head of something that you can win, win, yeah. win, win. Yeah, I've been really trying to pick and choose my upra rodeos too like if if i see a stock contractor's got like two rodeos that weekend and one's got fifteen thousand added and the other's got sixty five thousand or sixty five hundred added i'm going to sixty five hundred added rodeo and you've been inches away from checks at some of them yeah 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 who's got the nicest set of horses in that deal Uh, uh, johnny hole johnny hole yeah i go to a lot of cadillac um that's cadillac Cadillac. Yeah. yeah yeah Um, He's got some nice bulls too. They all got good horses. Hat Brand's probably got the best Hat, horses. Hat Brand's got great horses. Um, as far as like, but yeah, Mitch. But I Terrell, mean, like rider friendly ones. Ones that you're. I would say Johnny. Yeah. Johnny's got a lot of those rodeos. The reason, and yeah. he's got he's got a good set of horses, and he's he caters. He super caters to the um to uh to the bronc riders. Yeah, which, you know. And then he he'll does have to the bull riders too, though. He does like, to them. Like Brett, yep, he does. Uh, Brett went to a bunch of those UPRAs, and the bulls were really nice. But but that bronc you got on in uh, uh, Will Will Cooks in Archer City, yeah, like that dude. I'd like to have that one at the house. Yeah, that then, yeah, flying C. You got He's, on Uncle Buck at um, TNT T, of TNT yeah, at and Seymour. Seymour. Yep. I'd like to have that one at the house. Yeah. Yep. So that they all are, mm-hmm. you know, they've all got the yep. good ones. Yep. He's been following Johnny's rodeos because like. The weekend Marble Falls, Johnny had another rodeo, you know. So um, anyway, we didn't get to go to El Dorado. I almost. Man, I know I wanted to go bad. Uh, if you, are you going back up to? 
Wyoming this summer at all? I don't know. If you do, swing into Jackson Hole. Yeah, yeah I've I heard. got a bunch of nice Bronx. I've heard members. that. When I go, when I've been there watching them, I'm like, man, I could probably spur. Do they have a rodeo every night too? It's three nights a week. Yeah, Friday, Saturday, and Wednesday maybe. Yeah, I've heard that too. That wouldn't be a bad idea. I thought about going up there and just getting my count to make the finals for Cody, but I don't know. It's a long ways to go for that. Um. Yeah, that. So Sunday we got uh, an old Stace Smith mare. She's not that old, but she's just got a super perfect trip, kind of a just jump kick at the very end. And Donnie had a he had a turning point this last Sunday on her. But anyhow, I don't crave young bronc rider teaching young bronc riders because it's hard to find a horse like that. Like I'll do it, you know. I'll teach somebody, but like I just. Bull riding is so much easier to level down a bull. So that's why that's – anyhow. I imagine that guy that got on some of his first bulls that you were talking about, some of those bulls are probably the ones entered in the YBR. Yep. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. That's exactly, <laughs> exactly. right. <laughs> they're 950-pound they're so. hoppers, you know. Yes, sir. And yep. You know, they'll be in the – they'll be in the – that age group is they call it senior riding it's like steer riding and bull riding and they're, they're just ones i took to the little britches finals yes sir well thank you for coming on the podcast um talking bull riding talking faith you got any more questions for him man i if, i wish i was a bull rider so i had <clears throat> a little more questions for you but i i enjoyed listening to you guys like it was pretty insightful we usually end with uh um, life advice, just any sort of something that stuck with you or something you've lived by. Maybe you read it this week, but what you got, Donnie? <laughs> I caught it myself. It always takes me by surprise. I don't know it why. Me too. I don't like, know why I don't prepare. Thought, I knew it was coming. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I've just been kind of saying burn your boats here lately. So yeah, kind of stay with that. I was talking Tell to me it. what that means. Just uh it comes from um uh is it not Columbus but the guy before him um yeah uh Spanish he was Spanish yeah, from Spain. Well anyways they they got to the Americas and he just kind of burned all their boats so they didn't have any choice but to go forward, you know, they couldn't go back. There was no turning back. Is kind of what yeah. that means for me. Uh mine I, just because I said it today on the phone call, a friend called me, and he's got a relative who made some bad decisions, and he needs to make them right. And instead of making them right, right now he's trying to make more bad decisions. And they kind of compound each other. You try to hide stuff, cover it up, whatever. But I just told him, I said, he was he's about to give advice to this person and say, man, we need to do something different. And it just kind of do the right thing for the right reasons and live with the consequences and it applies to everybody like sometimes you know his started with a bad decision and then he needed to get off that path and start making right decisions but sometimes like it could apply to anybody like you can make the right decision and um and it doesn't always mean that's going to be a cherry picking path like you you still do the right thing for the right reasons and live with the consequences because sometimes the consequence there's there's bad consequences to right decisions in the short term. 
anyway, what do you got? Well, given given the time of year, like don't miss don't miss people. You know, it's like don't don't miss the living part of it because tomorrow's not promised. You know, and and uh, my son Aaron, uh, the night the night he was killed, I uh, <clears throat> I didn't. Uh, I didn't talk to him that day, you know, and uh, they had their first meeting for college rodeo, and I got in bed, and, and uh, there's a story behind this, way back behind this, but anyway, I got in bed, and I was laying there, I was like, man, I didn't talk to Aaron today, so I got up, text him, love you, son, and uh, got back in bed, got tucked in all cozy, and, and my phone rings, so I get up, and... Uh, Answer the phone, Sarah, and he's like, what are you doing, old man? I said, oh, I'm just trying to sleep. Like, it's, it was pretty late, you know. I said, what are you doing? He goes, oh, man, we're just hanging out. I said, hey, you know what? You need to get on schedule. You know, you got college, you got classes coming up. You need. And he's like, yeah, 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 whatever. You know, he was, and he said, uh, hey, you remember, you remember meeting this kid at Deadwood or whatever? He said, you signed his hat. And I said, nah, not really. He just hands his phone to this kid and this kid hey mr custer you know i, I got your autograph up there and so we talked for a minute and and then they give the phone back to aaron and me and aaron talked for a little bit last thing i said is i love you son i love you dad and and uh man i cherish that yeah that conversation and so you know just be quick to get things right when things are wrong with people because you bet things can get wrong with people pretty easy and and we hold on to it and you never know i mean I don't know if I'd have been able to live with myself if I'd have been, at, you know, at odds with him. And he, you know, last thing he said to me was, "I hate you, Dad," or what, you yeah, know, sir. or or whatever. I mean, I know he would never hate me. I mean, hope he wouldn't, but he never did. But the last thing he said to me is, "I love you, Dad." Yes, yeah, sir. And I said, "I love you, son." That's the last things we said. And so, you know, fast forward to my dad. Last time I saw my dad, you know, I. He couldn't communicate with me at the time, and I just kissed him on the cheek, and he was trying to talk to me. I said, it's all been said. Nothing nothing left to say. Yes, sir. I said, kiss my boy when you get there. And that's the last thing I said to my dad. So, anyway, I, I guess just, it, of all things, just get things right with people quick and don't, don't leave yourself in a position for uh, regrets, you know. Death is the most final permanent thing we got on this earth. That's that's heavy. Well, uh, thank you all for listening. Thank you for uh, tuning in. If you if you listen this far and uh, <coughs> look up Cody Custer, uh, he's got his his dates for his schools on his Instagram, Facebook. Check those out if you're interested in riding bulls. And uh, he's the man to teach you. Pow pow, and on to the next one, old son. Under the music. Oh yeah. Sorry, forgot. <laughs> <laughs> I was listening. I can figure it out. There it goes. Yep.
getting the back end bucked him off, but he's a, he's a badass. But I don't know if he's ever bucked off five or six in a row, and that's where he was at. Like he was just, and they went to the finals, got bucked off both at the high school finals, and so I just told him he come home, and I said I said Wacy, go back to work. I said you have tendency to cut across, but when you kick your feet loose, it works. I said you can't clamp down and try to muscle in bulls so you gotta be kicking your feet loose and then he just he goes and he was 88 and a half points at, at, uh, or 88 whatever it was dang stuck it on what's his name wacy wacy shala wacy shala you don't Look know wacy oh yeah i know wacy <laughs> yeah we used to travel together yeah me and wacy we've got in the house mr cody custer world champion he is um just going to share some knowledge some wisdom we're going to talk about his story talk about his uh his faith and talk a little bit about your rodeo schools you've got a few coming up got some dates on your instagram yeah Wait. i try to keep stuff on social media just keep keep that information out there and, and my phone number is readily available to everybody you as bet I, as i've said it's probably on some bathroom walls somewhere <laughs> yeah. so you can get my number any anybody can get my number you bet yep so uh, we're going to dive into this conversation, then we're about to go buck some bulls as soon as that's over. So check out the, uh, the the next rodeo time that comes out because we'll get to hear you'll get to hear some some bull ride knowledge there too. So it's hot outside. Yep, it's hot in here. It's hot in here. We're about to buck some bulls. Have a podcast. Yep. Now on to the stories. <laughs> 